I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to The Andy Rowe Show. Russell Jones is a multi-sensory marketing expert that works with well-known brands like Heineken and Aston Martin to improve their products using the science of the senses. Remember when Cadbury changed the shape of their chocolate bar and everyone said it tasted different? The ingredients were exactly the same, but the shape altered the way our senses interacted and behaved. When you go to the supermarket, the speed of the music or the type of music will alter what you buy and how much, regardless of even if you notice it. Even the shapes and colours of the utensils you use to eat or drink with can change the taste of what you're eating and drinking. Russell is going to give you a load of examples and ways you can use your senses to improve just about every part of your life. I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we start, a massive thank you to our sponsor this week, Sons, who helped make this show happen. You know how important it is to keep your immune system as strong as possible, particularly coming into the cold and flu season. The guys over at Sons are always looking out for ways to help you with your health, and they've done it again with their new Ultimate Immune Health Supplement. It's formulated from 11 powerful ingredients and includes all the key vitamins, minerals, and amino acids you need, like D, C, B, Zinc, but its special ingredient is the beta-glucan Wellmune, clinically proven in 12 scientific trials. One trial in marathon runners led to a 40% reduction in respiratory infections. Another study showed a 71% reduction in the number of individuals reporting cold and flu symptoms. So if you're already taking a multivitamin or are looking for something to strengthen your immune system this autumn, then check out suns.co.uk and use the code ANDY30 to get a massive 30 quid off your first order. It's the perfect supplement for fighting viruses as well as recovery from sport and weekend hangovers. And importantly, by using our code, you'll be supporting the podcast and the work we do. Russell Jones, thank you very much for coming on the show. Cheers, Andy. No worries. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Enjoyed your book. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. You write sensory prescriptions. What the hell is that? For the people that haven't read your book, what is that? So a sensory prescription is just kind of outlining how you can coordinate together every colour, every sound, every scent, texture, shape, uh, objects, everything in your environment that makes up your sort of sensory environment and how they all go together based on an area of neuroscience called cross-modal neuroscience, the modes being the senses, which is basically about how all of our senses completely connect and cross over. We think of them as operating on their own and being unique and individual, but every sense is affected by the other sense. So if you get the right shape and uh, color and sound and smell going together, for instance, if you're having tasting something and they all kind of work together to build up your perception of that taste, it will enhance that taste. Aston Martin was one of your, is one of your big clients. Aston Martin, this is actually very much specifically looking just at sound, 
but it's the same sort of thing, came to us, we were talking to them about the sounds that you hear inside a car. I mean, the main point about this that applies to life is we don't focus on these things like sounds in our environment. And it happens as much in life as it does a lot in, in design. You'll design this beautiful car, the engineering's absolutely incredible, but they don't really care about the sounds that you hear, which, by which I mean things like the indicator, the seatbelt warning, the uh, phone ringing as you connect your phone to the Bluetooth, as well as the sound of the door closing and the sound of the motors on the oh, wing Oh, yeah, mirrors. that, new car, that yeah. new car sound when you close the door. Exactly. Rather than the clink. And we intrinsically will associate that sound with an evaluation of that car. If it makes a really solid, low-pitched, matte, dull sound, we go, that's that, that car's quality. If it makes a flimsy, mm. high-pitched, metallic sound, that, that car's really cheap and badly made. Although it really may not have anything to do with the actual car. In fact, Aston Martin carry all of their, or used to carry all of their um, like functional tones inside of the car, the bings and bongs, as we call them, uh, from Daimler, because that's who created the electronic equipment that goes inside the car. So we did a bit of a study. We took some of the Aston Martin Daimler sounds, indicators, uh, PDC, reverse beeping, seatbelt noise, and, um, and we took a few others. We took ones from Porsche, Range Rover, and we tested them. So everything we do is based on research. So we tested them against, so Aston Martin's brand values of power, beauty, and soul. So do these sounds sound powerful? Do they sound beautiful? Are they, do they sound well-crafted, well-made, or do they sound mass-produced and cheap? We get people to listen to the sounds, and you just say, how crafted is this sound? How well-made is it? How, how beautiful is it? None of the sounds scored very well at all. Weirdly enough, I think the Range Rover sounds scored the best, but the Daimler sounds came out cheap, budget, mass-produced, really, really bad. These are the indicators and The indicators, the PD, and, yeah. Okay. And when we asked people what car they thought those sounds came from, the top, I, uh, the top answers were Nissan and Kia. And this is a sort of £108,000 car. So we presented this to Aston, but then we also created some sounds ourselves based on this sort of sensory prescription of what qualities of sound communicate uh, craft, power, you know, depth, bass, solidity, matte, sort of like, you know, that kind of sound to things. And also learnt associations, you know, so we made indicators out of champagne glasses or high heels sort of walking along a floor. We also made indicators and a load of sounds out of the James Bond E minor major ninth chord. So when the indicator went, you had this slight sort of boom, bing, which is the sort of off Bond note. And Aston love Bond and they love the whole association with it. So they celebrate it and they're well up for it anyway we tested those sounds on another group of people about 200 people listening to them so online and you you ask them to listen to the sound and is this sound crafted or or um you know mass produced or whatever anyway our sounds all came out crafted and and premium and luxury and everything the top ones were the bond ones and when we asked what car they came from the top answers were bentley aston martin and rolls royce we will dig into some of the things that you can do at home yeah. that change your perception of things, like little things like the colours, the, the colour of your mug when you're drinking a hot chocolate, little things like that. We'll dig into that and talk about that shortly, but we'll, we'll keep going on some of these um, clients you work with because I find it fascinating going onto your website and seeing that you've got something that can improve the taste of Marmite. Yes. I mean, what, uh, 
Like, how are you? How are you doing that? Well, again, this is um, sort of sound based. It was Marmite's campaign when they had the sort of hypnotic kind of um, uh, packaging. There was a kind of black and white spiral, and I think they were doing this whole thing about you you don't hate it, you love it, like rather than asking people. And we were approached to sort of um, asked, can we make a piece of music, a piece of trance music, that will um, make people love Marmite, or essentially make haters hate it less. So if you were eating Marmite while you're listening to this music, it should taste better. Yeah, exactly. So we worked with the R&D team, um, from Unilever and Marmite to identify what it is that haters hate. Why do they hate it? And it comes down to like the overly umami-ness of it and the overly sort of saltiness of it. Essentially, it seems to be what people who hate it hate. So then we go to the research and again, we create this sensory prescription for how can you, what qualities of music will dull those sensations of umami and also accentuate other um, sort of more pleasant taste elements like sweetness and things like that. And there's loads of research into this about how people map certain tastes to musical instruments. They map certain tastes to sort of pitch and sound and uh, other qualities of sound. Like sweetness is always linked to kind of high-pitched uh, percussive sort of noises like pianos and bells. And if you want to dial down bitterness, and bitterness is always linked with low pitch kind of raspy trombones. So we kind of want to get away from that. So we created this um, sensory prescription for a piece of music that would supposedly or theoretically change the taste of Marmite for the better for those who hate it. Uh, work with a guy called Billen, who's a sort of trance, techno trance producer. And he made some tunes. And then we took that to um, London University the Centre for the Study of the Senses, which is headed up by Professor Barry Smith. And he runs a study there. He had people listening to different music and eating Marmite on toast and eating jam on toast and just butter and like measuring, asking people the taste. Mm. And we proved, I can't remember what it was, I think it's something like 27% change in flavour, as in haters hated it 27% less when they were listening to this music. <laughs> or if you put the marketing spin on it, they loved it 27% more. Right, yeah, different ways of spinning it, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. but essentially, yeah, we proved that we could sway um, yeah, taste perception of Marmite and make it more palatable. You, you managed to find a way to make Heineken more palatable as well, like beer. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's, it's pretty good already. It's palatable as, as, it, as it stands. Yeah. Um, yeah, I and mean, we've done loads of work with Heineken and lots of different beers. And a lot of the work we've sort of done historically has been with taste because it is ultimately a very multi-sensory experience in itself, you know, tasting something. And this is really, it comes down to everything I say about how you know, multi-sensory it is that sounds in your background and the texture and the colour of the glass and other things you're seeing will change your perception of taste. And you can prime expectations of taste of flavour as well. So one of the things we've been working on with Heineken was um, adding sound to their draft column. So when you're standing in front of the bar, the bartender's behind the bar, he pulls you a, um, a pint. And as he does it, you start hearing this sort of high pitch, fresh oh, kind of yeah. pressure kind of sound. And it's cueing you up to expect uh, something that's refreshing and cold. Mm. And it's also cueing you up to, to, for the sort of nice, smooth, creamy uh, head on it as well. And so when you get it, you, those ideas have kind of bubbled up to the top of your head. You're thinking refreshing, you're thinking sm smooth and creamy. And then when you taste it, it measurably tastes that much more refreshing and, and creamy. 
That's cr- that, that's so crafty though, isn't it? So like, it, I don't want to say sneaky, but it's, it's, it's quite clever though. <laughs> but what it? it's doing, it, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's it's just you're you're triggering notions of refreshment by these kind of sounds that we have learnt to associate with something yeah. that's refreshing, high pitch, and it, it enhances the cognitive fluency of them, which basically means those ideas just bubble up to the top of your head, and that's mm. when you taste something. It's just the first place your mind goes. And so it, it's in there. That it is a refreshing uh, drink. It's cold and refreshing. So you couldn't sort of do it with something that wasn't. Um, you know, you couldn't suddenly make, I don't know, a cup of hot chocolate suddenly really refreshing. Right. Because it's not got those qualities. It, they have to be intrinsically there. All you're doing is just elevating them in your mind yeah. and improving your experience. I mean, that's fundamentally what we try to do is, you know, you can improve your experience of a Heineken without having to go through the cost-effective thing of uh, or like hugely costly process of changing the recipe and you know doing all these things you can actually just change the glass where you serve it in and play someone a sound before they drink it and they're having a better experience of it and that's essentially what we're trying to do is Im- improve product experiences and any experiences in life as well it's interesting isn't it because i know the beer is actually different when it comes out of a can but if you get that same beer out of a can and you pour it into a glass, yeah, it, it tastes better. But it's the same Absolutely. content, but it tastes better. Yeah, That's what you're talking about, isn't it? Because your actual other senses start to influence the taste of your what's going in your mouth yeah absolutely so you're holding a glass and then pour it into three different glasses and taste it and it will taste different if you pour it into one glass that's maybe kind of sharp and angular and one that's rounded it will taste uh, sweeter in the rounded one really it tastes slightly more sort of refreshing and bitter in the in the angular one yeah. so the different shaped glasses will, Again, will because, influence the taste yeah. i mean this is a little sort of sensory thing we can sort of play with like intrinsic associations between sort of things so answer this first thing that comes into your head is a lemon fast or slow fast exactly so everyone says lemons are fast now so we've got a taste and a speed which is a weird thing in itself you're associating a tempo or a speed with it with a taste mm. uh, i normally do this visually but you're gonna have to imagine it i've got a kind of spiky angular shape and then I've got a kind of round globular shape. Which one's the taste of a lemon? The sharp. Yeah, sharp angular one. Angular one, one yeah. Most people, well, everyone will say that as well. So now we've got the taste of a lemon is fast and it's sharp and angular if you look, looked at it in its form. Because, and we all associate that pretty much universally, cross-culturally agree on that. If you kind of build that up as an experience, so what, what I, I say this when I'm talking to clients if you then came to me and you were a sparkling lemon drink, then I know the music on your advert should be fast. It should be sort of high pitched and maybe a bit, ee, ee, a bit psycho stringsy kind of like right. that. Your logo should be angular, that the texture on the can should maybe have some angularity to it. That when you open the can, it should go instead of. And all these things will prime you for that lemony, zesty experience. And when you have it, it delivers on that expectation and you, you, you'll enjoy it more. There was a study on hot chocolates. If you put a um, hot chocolate in a different colored mug, it might taste sweeter or different different shape mug or different weight mug. Yeah. Can, you, can you talk me through that? Because yeah, it's I a mean, similar sort of thing to what you're talking exactly, about, exactly. but the opposite. Exactly. I mean, I actually did this on uh, a show for Radio 4 years and years ago. It was a politics show 
and the presenter she was wanted to talk about how we're swayed in our you know behavior and voting by things other than the policies of the uh, the politician you're voting for and this was just an example to show how you're swayed by things that you don't particularly realize um but it's a study that had been done before but what we did we just got four different colored mugs i think it was black yellow blue and red and i got a big tub of hot chocolate shook it up so it's all evenly distributed and poured it into four different colored mugs beforehand in another room and i said she's going to choose the red one so then we go into the room with the presenter and we put them down and you say sip each one and just tell me what you think what's the taste sips the black ones a bit bitter yellow ones kind of a bit mild blue ones a bit weak red one yes yeah, really rich tasty full sweet I like the red one the most. It's the same hot chocolate. It's exactly the same hot chocolate. It's the only thing different is the color of the mug. So if you were starting a coffee shop or a cafe, you would have yeah. red mugs. Red rounded mugs. And then you'll have a sweeter, sort of richer taste. Unless someone really loves sort of bitter, uh, you know, dark chocolate and then serve it in a kind of angular mug. Yeah, but no one <laughs> wants bitter hot chocolate though, do they? I don't know, yeah. taste preferences. But this, I mean, that's the thing. You can, if you like certain aspects of something, you can dial it up by, by sort of setting this sensory prescription mm. to, to elevate those sort of qualities of something. And, and the same thing happens as well when you're, let's say you're having breakfast and you have yogurt yeah, or yogurt or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the taste of it, the same product can vary depending on what you serve it in absolutely again another piece of research that was done by charles spence up at um, oxford where they served people yogurt in i think you know light plastic bowls and heavy porcelain bowls and it tasted thicker and richer in the heavy porcelain bowl which again if you think about it it just instinctually makes sense if something's heavier that weight transfers through your arm you're holding it to a perception of something being thicker because, you know, heavy things would be thicker or thicker things mm. would be sort of heavy, more condensed, more um, vis viscous and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's how this cross-sensory associations work. So, yeah, the same, serve it in a heavy bowl. I mean, another great study done by the same people, they got a load of people up at a banquet. I think it was up in Scotland. It's 120 people or so. 60 of them get served. They all get served the same food, but 60 of them have kind of canteen-like cutlery and the other 60 have uh, heavy banquet-style cutlery. And um, the people with the heavier cutlery said it was something like 11% more delicious, 14% more artistically right. presented, and they would pay like 20% more for it. So that's why when mum has the special cutlery yeah, the that she brings wear, out, right? the yeah, special silverware, it, it over for, when someone comes over for dinner... They bring that out. It legitimately, actually, it scientifically makes your food taste better. It does, exactly. If you want to impress, then yeah, get all the good the good silverware out and yeah, the right plates and everything and lovely soft textured napkins maybe. And going back to beer, so I went to Belgium a couple of years ago and had some of the, the trapeze beer, the stuff that the monks make, yeah, and yeah. they put it in those bottles and it's even got the label on it. It's the like, best beer in the world. I thought it was when I drank it there. And I took some of those bottles home all the way to New Zealand, pour them in um, into a glass, and it <laughs> didn't taste any different from the local beer. It didn't taste, yeah. it didn't taste good. It just tasted like normal beer. But when I was over there, I was like, this shit is amazing. <laughs> but, but then at home, it's different. Yeah. But that's, there's a reason for that as well, isn't there? It's not just because 
the bear didn't travel well or because you know it's maybe no, shaken exactly. up there's other things at play kind of like the french wine thing yeah well this is yeah exactly like you're saying this is the intro to my book the provencal rose paradox it's exactly that thing it's your emotions and the setting it's why fish and chips taste better when you buy the sea you know everything's congruent everything makes sense plus you're in a good mood and you're excited and you're somewhere different and all these mm. emotions kind of build up to make that beer taste better you're in the home of it you know, you're, you're where it's from, you're there for it. You, all of these things affect your emotions and all these other kind of ideas are kind of there at the forefront of your consciousness. So when you're tasting it, of course, it's going to taste absolutely amazing. And when mm. you extrapolate yourself from that and you're sort of back home, you haven't got any of those sort of emotions are there any, and any of those sort of triggers around you. You're not looking, I don't know, at the sort of hearing Belgian voices and yeah. sort of seeing the wood of the, of the old pubs and things like that. All of those things are contributing for that kind of congruent sensory atmosphere that heightens your pleasure. And again, that's the sensory prescription for that beer. It's all those congruent sensory yeah. elements and the emotion that you're in. If you... Uh trying to recreate the french wine situation can, can you do that can you can you go home with the bottle of red wine that you bought in france and put some french music on well that like yeah. can that enhance it because you're getting that french sound and maybe get some cheese yeah all that exactly kind of set a little scene put a put a red and white tablecloth on sort of some put on some serge gainsbourg or some french voices in the background i mean this is what this the science has started to show us that if you bring back those um, those emotions and that trigger those memories and set a sort of congruent scene, then those kind of sensory memories come back and that sort of, they, it all come, comes back to the sort of crosses the threshold of consciousness and will, will enhance your taste. And this was one of the first things I did when I kind of started the agency years ago and started basically discovering this world that I suddenly found amazingly fascinating was the sound of the seed dish that I did the sounds for, for Heston Blumenthal, the chef who at that time, the Fat Duck restaurant, was number one in the world. And I was really interested in how sound just at that time can affect our experiences. And this dish that I did the sound for years ago, I don't know if you know of it, but you get served sashimi and tapioca sand, and you get given a conch shell with an iPod in it that plays the sounds of waves crashing and seagulls flying overhead. And when you listen to that soundtrack and eat the sashimi, we, it's proven it tastes fresher, it's more enjoyable, tastes more fishy, and you like it more. And it's exactly that. You're recreating mm. a congruent sensory atmosphere. You're triggering those associations. When we hear waves crashing, we think of the sea spray, we think of the smell, the sort of ozone yeah. freshness. We think about maybe we had the freshest fish ever that was caught, just caught, landed. And it's not just placebo, though. Uh, well, no, I mean, this it is... It's triggering associations and notions and ideas that are relevant to what you're tasting. And as they bubble up, it puts you in, the, and it's making you in a sort of putting you in a more positive mood because generally the sound of waves crashing makes us feel good. You're, mm. you're really angry when you're by the sea. So all of these elements affect your mental state and your emotional state, and that changes how something tastes. If you do get onto the wines in, in the weekend or onto the beers. Um, yeah. You go a little bit too hard and you finish it like, I don't know, producer Tristan tends to go on to about three or four in the morning. There's a way, isn't there, that you can ease the Monday blues 
<laughs> by I know like obviously exercise helps, but using exercise in a specific way. Uh, yes. It's to do with your circadian rhythm, which, you know, is our natural rhythm. We're in sync with the day and night and every single organism on the planet has this kind of mm. sync with the natural sort of uh, cycle of, of, of day and night. And when you're off of it, it obviously causes, you know, really bad problems with sleep and it can be a really endemic problem. But there's really interesting research about when you exercise and also exercising outdoors among uh, the nature. So if you exercise at one o'clock and you do it in nature as well, which enhances the experience, you will shift your circadian rhythm. So this social jet, jet lag that you have from being on a sort of getting up at wait, seven and going to bed to 11 or whatever it is during the week has suddenly been shifted to staying up till four or five in the morning and getting up mm. at 11, 12 o'clock. Yeah, you do the exercise on one o'clock for your Saturday and Sunday and it should shift your circadian rhythm back to being online for your Monday morning wake up. Mm. Yeah, because I want to talk about exercise a little bit because there's things that you can wear yeah, and in, in certain like clothes that you can wear, I'm not talking about wearing running shoes when you go and running, but the way that they appear, the way that they look, the what things what's printed on them can can improve your performance as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it depends what you're doing, but again, so we're influenced by these sort of elements that are we're not particularly focused on and might sort of consider arbitrary. But um, I mean, for instance, you're more likely to win at a sport if you wear red. So if you're playing any kind of competitive sport or, or involved in any form of combat, then, uh, then wear red. And this has been done uh, or studied many, many times. Uh, one group of researchers looked at every single combat sport in, um, the, I think it was the 2008 Olympics. And when they were evenly matched, you know, whether this is boxing, kickboxing or whatever, you're much more statistically likely to win when you were, that, uh, when you were wearing red because people were randomly assigned red or blue whenever they sort of uh, played or fought. fought. Right. Um, so, yeah, you're much... And they say it's because red triggers this kind of sense of aggression in yourself. Uh, you know, it's an evolutionary fight or flight sort of feeling. Also, in, the, uh, in your competitor, you look more aggressive because you're like this big red thing coming at you. Whereas they look a bit more diminutive in blue, which is a sort of nice, gentle, calming colour. Mm. So you're seeing them as that, so you can dominate them really easily, and they may be even feeling that a little bit. And this was also looked at in um, football teams as well, I think, in the UEFA Cup. And if, when teams either had a red away kit or red home kit, they were more likely to win statistically. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another thing that you provide sensory prescriptions on is like how you wake up. Now, when I started reading your book, I was I think I was one chapter in and I went and bought myself a sunrise alarm clock uh, yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. when I, when I, so let's say I set the alarm for seven o'clock, it starts to light up my room from half yeah. an hour beforehand. So then by the time it's seven o'clock, I'm kind of awake Nice already. There's a big health kick with that sort of thing, is, is, isn't there as well? Like there's issues around like waking up too quickly. Yeah, there is. And again, it's to do with your circadian rhythm. And if you put someone, you know, if you go camping or you're out, you having to sleep out and are at the sort of whim of, you know, natural day and night, then, you know, and evolutionarily, we have just would have woken up as the sun comes up. And it's a lot more gentle and, mm. and beneficial way to wake. It aligns your, your circadian rhythm kind of for you as, you as you're waking up and it brings you up in a more gentle way. When people do have sleep issues, there was a study, I think, in Columbia University in the States. They went out to Colorado and camped for a week and everyone realigned their circadian rhythms within a couple of days because you are then waking up with the natural cycle of day and night. And, you know, the idea of waking up to this Wagnerian sort of beeping from an alarm clock is a really, really horrible it way is, to wake horrible. you up it's it, not you know yeah you're waking up with this kind of shock and i don't know oops. why anyone like no one likes it i don't no. know why why that has been one of the things in the world that has been so constant and just stuck like how the hell did that stick yeah the yeah. sound of an alarm clock it's one of the worst sounds in the world like, it is what, isn't it first of all who came up with that and second of all like how the fuck did that stay around for so long yeah yeah it's just you know we have very few sort of innate sort of fears and one of them is loud noises you know it's a complete evolutionary reaction to <laughs> jump up and have your body full of cortisol ready to sort of run away when you hear a loud noise so why do we want to stimulate that evolutionary reaction first mm. thing in the, every single morning with this abrasive sound right. and also it can genuinely be, be dangerous I mean there is some sort of not funny research, but I sort of plopped it into the book as a kind of side note that apparently people are more likely to have heart attacks on Monday mornings. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But yeah, so last time... And less likely on Sundays. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, not definitely the last time you want to be triggering this huge release of cortisol first thing. So the idea is that you use light instead. And I have Philips Hue lights throughout my house actually which are cool because you can change the color of the light in the evening and dull it and i have exactly the same as you so just the sort of bedroom lamps just slowly come on from like 6 to 6 30 just to sort of and then so you, you so kind much of, more gentle yeah and you wake up before you've opened your eyes you kind of arise don't you and then you're there yeah. and then you can slowly open your eyes or you can contemplate you know your state for a minute and then go up and it's yeah it's much more gentle and then again if you kind of can want to pair that with other things I talk about in the book and I made this kind of rose garden alarm, I called it, which is kind of a bird song gradually, what's it called, the dawn chorus. 
uh, but very gradually kind of coming up in volume as well. You know, instead of just meh, meh, coming straight at you, why not just that, that sound just drifting? Yeah. And it's also, we've got with, with the birds going and they start off really, really, really slowly. Quiet. And then they get, but then and they, they get of, annoying too. They'll get annoying. But they kind of enter your subconscious, especially at that time in the morning, you're more likely to be in this sort of stage of sleep where these things will sub, sort of seep into your um, subconscious. Good sleep, there's not a molecule in your body that doesn't benefit from good sleep. We talked about exercise and what you should wear that can help with all your senses. And like, What about when you get up in the morning and you're getting dressed? Are there things that you should be doing are there types of clothes that if you if you wear them they're going to help you yeah absolutely i mean this again there's a really big um, sort of phenomenon called enclosed cognition that just says we basically act or behave but also even think in uh in a way that's a, that's in keeping with what we're wearing to the point that if you wear a lab coat it's been proven that you're better at maths and and logical reasoning there was one study, I think, when people wore a Superman T-shirt under their shirts and they did better at an exam than people who were just wearing a normal T-shirt. Really? Yeah. So just anything that kind of... I triggers... should have worn a Superman outfit. To... <laughs> exactly. That's lost. Done. Yeah, I should have done that. Oh, it's great. But yeah, so anything, if it has meaning to you, so things like a lab coat, that's a kind of universal thing. And it was a real yeah. study. You know, they get people in different, they uh, put people in different clothes. They give people a lab coat. And also they say this is a lab coat. And then they get them to do some like cognitive tests, maths tests and stuff. And they do better. Also, when they gave them the lab coat, but actually described it as an artist's smock, they didn't do as well. It's just as long as you, so if you had a link, a meaning and association with what you're wearing, then it will just change your thought process, your behavior. You know, you're, you're more likely to sort of get more done if you are dressed sort of more smartly. You'll behave more classily in smart outfits. You will feel like you're being more active if you're wearing your gym outfit and more likely to go to the gym if ah. you've got dressed in it. You know, you'll, and you'll, yeah, yeah, you'll, you will slump around and do nothing more if you're wearing really baggy slumpy clothes and if that's what you're doing for the day then you know dress appropriately but it's you know I, I always talk about how kids are really like the geniuses at this you know my son will get dressed into any costume for anything we're doing that's appropriate to it you say we're going to the woods and he'll put on his sort of explorer's woods outfit you're you know doing Good some man. DIY and he'll get dressed up as a builder and why did why should we lose that I mean you don't have to you know go full on but if you do dress sort of appropriately for what you're doing, it will kind of put you more in the mood. And it's, yeah, it's this thing called enclosed cognition. It genuinely changes how we think and behave. Yeah, I used to get dressed up in my cricket gear just to play on the back lawn. Yeah. Same you'll sort be of thing. You'll do better. I will do better, exactly. Yeah. I, I used to think that as well. I'll do better if I wear my, wear my full cricket outfit, put my pads on, even if it is just a tennis ball coming down at me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It really, really affects us. And this could be down to anything. It doesn't have to be your whole outfit. It can be a trinket that you have with you. It could be a watch or, you know, mm. something that you put on that adorns you. And then it can kind of go through to just things as well that you have. The same effect is called material priming when it's an object. If you have a Philofax, not that they're a bit sort of out of date, but it will make you feel more organizational and you'll probably get more things done. You know, if you or have a calculator in front of you, you'll suddenly find yourself being being better in the maths, even though you're not using it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can sort of think about what you're wearing for what you're wanting to do for the day and also things that you can have with you or on your desk or whatever. 
Yeah, because what what's on your desk at work? Yeah, affects like how you're going to operate as well, doesn't it? Like you mentioned the calculator. Yeah, you the if you're being more productive, if it's the first part of the morning, um, we are better at sort of more logical sort of reasoning and stuff. So it's a good time of the day to be more productive to sort of do that sort of. In fairness, the first three hours of the day, I'm better at everything. Then yeah. The, then, then, then the rest of the day, I'm a piece of shit. Like it's the fir- that first three hours is so. That, that's when if I'm going to get anything done, that's when it's, that's when I'm getting it done. Yeah, for sure. You're yeah. fresher. But there's some science behind it. Of there's course. science behind it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Again, circadian rhythm sort of underlying your mental state at that point. You are more sort of um, you would be better at those kind of more logical or productive sort of tasks, ticking things off or mm. you know doing anything. But then. So that's the right time of day to do it, but then use the sensory prescription to enhance that. So you start with material priming, if we're talking about that. So there might be a calculator or, or like a, a notebook, an organizational notebook on it that's maybe lined or graph paper instead of like open. So we don't want free open thinking. And if it's green? Well, no, this is, and then the color of it. But yeah, you want it to be red oh, you want to for be your red. productivity because again, that red color is triggering that kind of fight or flight sort of mechanism but it's been shown to make you more vigilant and more have greater attention to detail that studies have shown they put people in different colored rooms and get them to do clerical tasks and you make less typing errors in a red room interestingly you make the most typing errors in a white room but most offices are white yeah that's the thing it shouldn't be i mean you don't really want the entire place being red it'll be a bit oppressive but that's why you bring it in in different sort of areas you have it you might have a, a notebook or your workbook for that kind of work and that time of the day to be read and have a red pen and have a calculator. And then the sensory prescription sort of builds up. So what's the scent that um, enhances focus and productivity? And you look to sort of more active kind of scents. And there's things like peppermint that have been shown to enhance accuracy, but also cinnamon has been shown to do that as well. So you could have a cinnamon tea so you when have you're a at work. Tea. Exactly. You don't have to spray cinnamon in the air. You can get a cinnamon tea because that or gives you the taste. Tea. Yes. But the thing with you can have peppermint, but when it's all about lining up that sensory congruence, if I asked you what color, if you smelt cinnamon and you said what color it is, you're more likely to say red because it's got a it's reddish brown yeah. in color, but it smells red. And so that smell, the color of the smell is the same as the color of the thing in front of you. And that's this sensory congruence that's really important when all of those sensory elements match up. It's kind of like your brain's happy. It, it, everything makes sense so it doesn't have to think about well that's a bit odd that doesn't match or what's that it, it just it's got less stuff to work out it's got less stuff to work out so it just frees up the rest of your mind to do the thing that you're doing it's just that everything there is there in your environment supporting that um behavior or activity or whatever you're doing it's so basically get everything red in your office everything red for that part yeah and point. then and then choose some Cinnamon, uh, cinnamon chew some cinnamon gum. gum. Yeah, I mean, actually, one study did give people chewing gum, and um, yeah, they, they were chewing cinnamon chewing gum, and I think it was to do with sort of uh, maths or clerical tasks, and they made less mistakes and did it more quickly. Right. And then you know, have a little sound that's sort of in the background, like cafe soundscapes are really good because they're kind of active, but there's nothing repetitive, and there's nothing that really jumps out. There's nothing to really focus on. Just there in the background, slightly distracting your mind. Yeah, it's kind of positive distraction, uh, a little bit, so you you'll focus more. 
And you, you mentioned the, the the cafe kind of music. My my friend is starting a coffee shop, so the first thing I'm going to tell him to do is get the red get the red mugs, mate. Get the red mugs um, and heavy cutlery. What about the music? Does that is there a way to keep people in there, or do you want? I don't know if he wants yeah. to keep people in there, or is there a way to like make want. things taste better? Because well, of the music that's playing? Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, you can create a playlist that can either enhance the taste of the coffee. So you can look at what are the sort of um, elements of sound that will um, enhance the sweetness. Again, if you want sweetness, you know, so, so things that are kind of major key and generally kind of mid to slow tempo. So there's a little bit of a brief there. And then you can basically select your right. your tunes based on that and create a playlist for the day it's why, it's why all cafe music's the same isn't it they're all yeah. doing that but very few are really thinking about it so but then he might want like you say people to linger and enhance dwell time in case it's slower tempo he might want to get people through super quickly in which case faster tempo because people will drink more quickly and move through more quickly if it's faster music yeah because supermarkets do the opposite don't they they play music that's going to slow you down yes and and other shops will play music to speed you up, and it's called entrainment. You know, again, we you know we're so influenced by something in our uh, environment, like the BPM and tempo of something, that we sort of we we get in sync with it. Going back to the supermarket, there's a way that you can avoid, apart from going to the supermarket hungry, there's a way that you can avoid buying unhealthy food, isn't there? Yeah, or there's yeah. ways that you're more likely to buy healthier food yeah absolutely there are there's again like things that like if you're carrying a heavy bag you're more likely to buy kind of cal- higher calorific or more hum- unhealthy Why food basically you're compensating for the sort of um the burden of weight your yeah. sort of body feels like i'm carrying something really heavy i I'm need burning to some calories it. i need yeah. some more calories exactly i need to restore that smell something really indulgent before you go into the shop yeah, talk me through that because uh, when I go into a supermarket and I smell that freshly baked bread, I'm going to buy yeah, some freshly baked cause bread. Because if you smell it, you're going for it straight away. But if you smell it for two minutes, it kind of like mentally satiates you. You're kind of, you're done. You've had that hit. Right. And so then you'll go in feeling like you've, you know, that sort of, um, that desire has kind of been taken care of. So now I've got yeah. to get down to business and buy the healthy stuff. Because when I think about KFC and I've, I, first get that waft of kfc i'm like oh yeah i want that yeah yeah i think but, it's, it's dangerous up to about 30 seconds but the, the the research showed that it's that prolonged exposure two minutes they were smelling your hunger yeah satisfies it. your hunger and then you're sort of you know all of those cravings are kind of yeah they've been satisfied so they dull down and your sort of more rational kind of state can come through and make um, make more sort of informed purchases if you're trying to buy healthier things. Stand outside like a subway or something for two minutes before you go in the supermarket and then have a hit of um, some fresh mint or something. And you would have set yourself up to stick to whatever diet you're attempting so, to. So if you just have a whiff of mint or something like that, yeah. Again, it's you're gonna association. Go, you're going you're gonna to buy more healthy it's stuff. Gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to influence your, your decision-making, yeah. In the same way as there's other studies about how music will influence your decision-making, like the style of it or the, the country it's from would send you down a certain path to buy something from that country. Yes, if, if you go into the supermarket and they're playing French music, you, yeah. you, you're going to go for the wine, aren't you? You're going to buy French wine. Yeah, if you were sort of, yeah, exactly. If you're hearing Hindu music, you might buy a sort of, take home curry for two 
it will and it may be um that you recognize that and think oh actually i really fancy that but more often than not you don't and the study, you don't even know it's there you don't even know it's there yeah. it's just had this effect on you when they did this study about they played french music and then german music and when they played french music in the wine aisle in a tesco's people bought more french wine and when they played german music and i'm talking real umpar german music they like really stereotypical people bought more german wine they outsold French wine by like four to one, which is can normally would be the complete opposite. But then they'd stop people afterwards. You bought a, you know, a, a Riesling there. Did you hear the music? And they'll go, no, I'm having Wiener Schnitzel tonight. I, this, I've planned this all along. Only 2% of people acknowledged it. That, oh yeah, I heard that and I bought this. But the, the, the results show that it's way more than that reacted to it. But they vehemently deny that they that was not that it was always their intention to buy that sort of German wine. So the lesson there is to make sure that you're just aware of like what's happening or like how you're being because you're constantly being influenced and you don't even know. Yeah, and this is the point, and it's used commercially in that sense, but also you use it intentionally in your own life. Yeah, yeah, because the shape of some food also dictates how sweet something is doesn't it so like because uh, cadbury yes they changed their chocolate bar and yeah, people yeah. hit the roof it's a really sort of uh, sort of famous one they changed um i think it was the milk chocolate into from being square chunks to round chunks and they suddenly got a load of phone calls saying you've changed the recipe it's sweeter don't like it as much anymore you know you've changed it and they hadn't they just changed the shape of the of the um of the bar the chunks it's crazy there's ways to make yourself more attractive as well, isn't there? Apart from not eating the crap, uh, but the colours that you wear, like I know we've talked about red a lot. Red yeah. seems to be the go-to colour. Well, it's a, it? it's a powerful colour, and obviously, a lot of the research when they do this, they look at extremes. So a lot of the studies, whether it's looking at sort of effect on taste or effect on your attractiveness or reactions to things, they use extremes. And red is the hottest, warmest colour, and blue is the coolest colour. So you often see them compared to each other to show this kind of extreme reaction but this has been shown that men flirt more with women if they're wearing a red uh, dress or a red item of clothing that women have rated men more attractive if they're wearing a red top or against a red background in photographs so it does it triggers this sort of really inbuilt evolutionary association with yeah arousal whether that's you know aggressive arousal or romantic arousal but it does uh, affect um, your attractiveness there's also you know other colors i mean we also people close behind red in some in attractiveness is black so wearing black men look more attractive in black but also above red for sort of seeming confident and competent you're seen as more confident and confident if you wear black so you could go for that route right. if you're trying to impress in different ways if um there were five things that someone could do in their life sensorily is that the right word sensorily sensorily <laughs> sensorily yeah. what what could they do like five things that you what are the the main things it doesn't need to be five it can be it oh, can be man. three it could be 300 whatever give me some give me some really strong tips that the person listening to this at home can do to improve their life just through through generally being sensorial I mean, it's a tough one because each situation and context is different. But my real point is just do think about these elements. Don't just put some music on in the background and then cook. Put on something that goes with what you're cooking. 
if you're having burgers put on Elvis, if you're making Indian food, do put on a bit of Ravi Shankar or something. Do you know what? I, I did that once. I, I'm just, it just, that just rings a bell that when you said that, because I remember when I was cooking dinner, I can't remember what I was cooking, but I think it was Indian, and I started slamming some Indian music on, and it, 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 everything was so much more fun. Yeah. You just felt like you were a little bit more Indian. Totally. You know, you're a little bit more part of it. Yeah, yeah, but it does. It triggers these associations. You imagine the the, 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 the spices yes. and the smells and the culture and everything, and it, it, it fits, it's congruent, and it generally does work. So, yeah, don't have the wrong thing. Just think about it. I mean, that's my big... One of my big points is that. Just really think about music and yeah. use it as a, you know, as a background to give you pleasure, but also line it up with what you're doing. I mean, the classic yeah. thing... One of my favourite pieces of research that I say all the time is white wine tastes 25 more zingy and fresh if you listen to Blondie. Really? Yeah. White wine and Blondie. White wine go. and Blondie. So, you, if, yeah. Staying on the wine thing, I remember that we used to do this thing when I was flatting and it was called French Fridays. Right. And all of my mates, we're all poor as anything, um, but you could, everyone could afford like a five pound bottle of red wine. Um, they'd wear a stripy shirt and we would play French music. It was just called French Fridays and we'd do that every Friday at the flat and it was so much fun. And yeah, you felt like you were, again, like like I was cooking Indian with Indian music on. It's like, it just, yeah, yeah. it just just a game changer, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And like, I'm not sort of saying that theme restaurants are the, ult- are the ultimate sort of culinary <laughs> experience because, you know, there's got to be a level of authenticity yeah, sort yeah, of to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just simply at home, it does make a difference. Yeah. So that's my sort of one tip is if you're cooking or drinking or anything, put on something that genuinely goes with it. My other tip with sort of the sound in your background is don't always think about sound as music. Think about sound as sound, like we said before about that coffee shop soundscape. If you're at home, and this is a big thing that I think is really kind of important at the moment with a lot of people working from home. And whether or not you put music on in the background, does it distract you? Well, put on a sound. You can access pretty much any soundscape online. Go to YouTube or even or Spotify, whatever your chosen sort of sources, and put on a kind of meadow soundscape or a bird song or a forest or a summer park or a cafe or whatever it is. Mm. It fills that sort of space in the background. It gives you this level of positive distraction where there's noise in the background so it doesn't feel empty yeah. and lifeless. But it does, it's proven to have beneficial effects on your mental state, your well-being, and also on your sort of productivity and creativity and things like that. But again, if you can, make it relevant. I don't know, if you're working on, if you're a travel agent, maybe you have the sign of waves crashing in the background, or you're working on something, if you're doing a financial report, put a recording from the stock exchange on. Just on that travelling one, there was a study, wasn't there, about people that listened to certain types of sounds when they were sleeping they yeah. would dream about yes a, a holiday what was that well sound enters your uh, mind when you are dreaming again evolutionarily we kind of keep that bit of our brain awake just in case something scary is going to come along and research has shown that different soundscapes will creep their way and influence your dreams and you can really sort of like so set if, up your dreaming yeah. if you wanted to have if you could have something that triggered at a certain point in the night waves crashing you will more likely dream of like summertime some the sun um sand water these sort of things that will seep into your you into your subconscious and also weirdly um, if you listen to if like city sounds are played when you're dreaming apparently your dreams go more obscure they go more abstract right 
but nature sounds make them more positive and sort of pleasant. Set your environment up so it's beneficial. I mean, that is my sort of big sort of thing, I mm. think. And that's what the book hopefully tries to do is, is open up this world of the science to people and give you these sensory prescriptions, these tips as starting points, really, because you use what's right for you. Russell, thank you very much for coming on the show. You're welcome. I hope that was uh, enjoyable. That was a good chat, very informative. But if you want to learn more, Russell's book, The Power of Your Senses, is out now. Or you can check out his website. It's called sensoryexperiences.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening. If you like this interview, please do me a massive favor and leave us a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. And we'll be back again next week.